Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. This is Sydney Lai, the host of Decoded, a developer podcast. And I am just super excited to be hanging out again. How are you liking the season so far? We're on season two. Can you can you just let me know? Like, hit me up on Twitter or in the reviews in the podcast section. Let me know if you'd like to see anything else, any feedback, any requests. Because I just, yeah, I want to make sure that I am sharing information and insights and fun stuff that is just relevant to you, right? So let's learn more today. Today, I am speaking with KK Kumar, the Director of Engineering at GitHub. And I'm super excited for this episode because GitHub has been a part of a lot of developer journeys and a huge part of my journey in open source education and projects. So as a reminder, I mean, the show is brought to you by OutSystems, a developer platform for building web and mobile applications. So, you know, as an example, the Union Bank of Philippines needed to build a mobile application to distribute stimulus checks to their citizens. Well, they were able to build a mobile application to launch within a few weeks to distribute money to their users. So it's a great developer tool. I'm a fan, you know, and I think that like being a part of a tool set that we use every day. I mean, like this is a great opportunity to talk to GitHub because we've all used it at one point or we do use it often. So let's dive in and chat all things quirky and weird that GitHub is up to. I am super excited to introduce KK Kumar from GitHub. Thank you so much for joining the episode today. Thank you, Sydney. I am so excited to talk uh, tech, talk with you, and and also share my perspective about how it is to work at GitHub, how it is to work in tech. I love this. I do this every day and I wake up and I'm excited. So it's always exciting to share it with more people. Yeah. I mean, I think why I'm also so excited to speak with you, especially about GitHub, is that a lot of developers use GitHub on a daily basis. It is almost a non-negotiable. And when I think of my educational identity, I don't know if that's the right word, but like my journey of becoming a developer, the first the first date, the first experience was just getting to know Git and GitHub, right? And not only that, but I think like during that journey of getting to know GitHub, also, I mean, this is a whole different conversation, but like culturally github is so quirky and that's what i absolutely love like you're quirky i'm quirky like people who are at github are quirky github it's the presidential suite was quirky <laughs> in sf <laughs> totally oh so. my god you are bringing you know i have to say this before that i find a lot of pride in working for github because i've used it ever since i started programming i remember the first github uh push that I made first Git thing I made everything it's just like memories that I have and it is the journey of GitHub has been journey of my developer career so it's just obviously a little bit of like oh, I love working here but also I have to say it's just so incredible building tech for tech and GitHub is building tech for tech we are home for developers and we're essentially trying to help other developers be it open source developers just right off the college new or first time developing something who used to do something else like changing career developers or enterprise developers building large tools. You know, we are the home for all of those people. And it's so cool to be working on that kind of technology and building that. And so, right. To add to your quirky point, though, it is extremely quirky. We have all of these fun elements of being a hubber. Being a hubber is what we called being at GitHub. and 
Of course, our HQ in San Francisco has all of these quirky elements. There is a presidential suite, which is a resemblance of Oval Office. There's also sort of a, how do I say this, a war room kind of, dis- like it's a dis- discussion mate room. And we have Mona stickers everywhere. You come in, you can also get a sticker for yourself or a t-shirt. It's a joke that GitHub is really a sticker company and not a tech company because we make a ton of stickers. And if you have ever seen like people having, you know, Mona Ness, you can also create your own Octocat for yourself online and make it your identity. Um, I have my own Octocat and I have that stuck on my computer. So trying to make all of the work that we do fun and not just about the code that we do, but also just our identity. Development is our identity. I'll never be able to let go of my handle because that's my identity on GitHub. And so that strong identity is part of that quirkiness that, that makes GitHub GitHub. So. so you just inspired me. I want a GitHub sticker, OctoKitty sticker themed wedding. Whoa, <laughs> because, that is so cool. No, <laughs> that is, no, no, no. That, is, that must be your first. But I will have to say that you're absolutely right. I think that the identity piece is really, really huge and almost intertwined in GitHub. And maybe for those who learned to develop, obviously after 2008, you know, um, I would say that GitHub more or less has been a part of the developer journey and the developer journey itself is an identity. And the fact that you can create your own version of the OctoCat sticker, yes, I want that. I want that immediately. And also, you are correct. GitHub is a sticker company. I've heard that. I've heard that at the conferences. I also will say that your sticker is the only sticker from the dev conferences that I actually collect. I mean, I love just getting a gaggle of dev stickers, but it's your stickers that I'm just like, they have their own sleeve. This is its own theme. Like I can't post them anywhere because this is this is my GitHub sticker collection. So nerdy, but I love... I love that you said that. Yeah, totally. I I also use a lot of stickers, so I get it. When I say I have a sticker, I mean, I have very few personal stickers that really make sense to me. But, you know, when you talk about identity, I also want to call out, right? It's not just the identity of a developer. What what we're able to accomplish is just the open source community, right? GitHub is is able to make anyone a developer. Like you can develop anything and have an impact in the world by just creating an open source library that's used by hundreds of thousands of people. And that's so exciting. Whenever I see uh, open source developer having a sponsor thing and able to make some money out of writing open source development, it's just, these things make my heart warm because I never thought when I was first starting to write code is that I could sit in my home, write code and have it be utilized in so many ways and so many things throughout time and also get paid for it. Yes, we do get paid for it in a job, but if you're not in a developer job, if you're not in in a company that is writing code and you just want to kind of create your own pieces of art through code, the opportunity and the platform we provide is incredible. So this is so cool. I'm excited to dive into kind of what it makes it to build GitHub. What is the story behind it? What we prioritize, what we love. I'd love to talk about all of that. So I am curious then. Let's do that. Like, obviously, like we today understand why GitHub is needed. But I think like what was what was the beginning of GitHub? Like why did they need to create, was it originally for platform control or version control as well? Was it originally for version control? And let's start there. So why, I mean, we, Git already existed before GitHub did, right? And so, and I think there were a few more kind of 
similar tools that existed source for source control management, but it started as a source control management to be able to put your code and share and be collaborative, right? Collaboration is where it started. This is why our primary, and we call it the heart of GitHub. I call it the heart of GitHub, right? The heart of GitHub is the code, the pull requests, the issues, the, the code experience, and all the branches. And it's the, it's the heart of GitHub. It's what it started. Everything else is beyond. And it's, it's the story we say today about starting from the code to the cloud. Like that is the story we, sh- we talk about today, but that's not the story we started in 2009 or 10 when it first launched. It was a way to allow collaboration. And as developers, we were writing code and we were sending it across either other source control systems and not having a visual way to see the our code being reviewed and things like that. So there was there was work that in, it was source control and we were sharing the code, but how do you collaborate across the people? And that is the fundamental value between of GitHub, right? It's how do we enable collaboration across all developers? And and that's the start. That is the origin of GitHub, is to allow collaboration across developers. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that if I look at GitHub from my perspective today, it's again, well, I should say from the original, my original developer journey, it was about not just being able to store and share your own code, but when you are learning, when you are a junior developer, learning how to collaborate with others. And also, I mean, going back to kind of the open source piece, just finding some of the coolest projects that you can fork and and make make some like your own version of that really cool project. And I at least for me, a project-based approach to development has always been the most engaging and fun way for me to learn. And I would say with GitHub, it's just the amount of education and other developers that you can find and just being able to build almost publicly, right? It's, I think it's, it's also come a very long way from what GitHub was then and today, and even on the enterprise side, because I would say for myself, the way I interact with GitHub is more on a personal development environment, not so much on the enterprise side. So can you share a little bit more about how does it differ, not so much from the services perspective, but just from like how maybe teams that could help build around like, hey, we are a dev team that is working on the enterprise side. We are the dev team for the random folks who are building solo projects. And then how do you how do you approach some of those scaling processes or maybe even technical challenges? There's two questions that I, I heard, and I'm going to go to the first one before I come to enterprise, is I kind of heard the fact that you wanted, you wanted to understand why and how we learn on GitHub, right? I think that's, that is the student community. That's the learning community. That's the development. I love frameworks and platforms too. Like I love being able to utilize, being able to see a, a open source library that is being maintained by 10,000 people and adding that to my code to enable me to kind of just quickly run with that framework and build something on it is incredible. Like when I started, like I was not an iOS developer or an Android developer, but I tried and dabbled on some of that stuff. And just the amount I learned from just looking at other apps that were built on and then were available on GitHub, I just picked up a lot of things. And I don't do app development right now, but when I was trying to learn and you know, capture it, it was a place for learning. And that's kind of what your first point was, right? Like, how do I get into that development world and start enabling that now, the second point is about GitHub and about enterprise, right? It's This is close to heart because I I have, my teams actually work on enterprise tools, building tools to enable enterprise. But 
I would say GitHub is going through a large transition as a company. And I think every company is going through some transition or the other. I mean, the pandemic has forced us through a transition or it's just if you're going through change, change is good. Change means we're improving, we're pivoting, we're growing and we're moving along. So I would say earlier, GitHub was very dot com centric. Most teams work on GitHub.com. It's what most people know of GitHub. All of the features went in there, right? Like you, you'd always see, ah, pull request line comments came in github.com. And then there's an enterprise, someone who uses GitHub Enterprise Server, where it's an on-prem offering that they run. And they're like, oh, I didn't see it yet. Like, I don't see what you're talking about. And so, so that stuff is changing. Like, we're, we're trying to make this and make GitHub a singular unified experience for all our developers, right? So earlier, so much work was done on .com and it was hard to kind of port it back to enterprise and all the enterprise offerings. Today, that's not it. We are trying to build a one pipeline, one system where we're very close in doing this. So we're right about there where we're actually shipping and learning is any change made to GitHub is established in all versions and all forms of GitHub. If that is an enterprise offering offered in a company's on-prem offering or it's GitHub.com that you experience or enterprise on GitHub.com that an enterprise customer pays for. But what's special about the enterprise piece is that the security, there's privacy, there's firewall systems to enable customers to be and enterprise customers to be safe and careful about their code. That's the thing, right? Like when people think GitHub, they usually think open source. They think that code is available for everybody. That's not the only case because, well, I think it's been about a year or two since we moved open private repos for everybody, which is fantastic. Like when I was first creating repos, I was like, oh, I could only create private repos because I was a student and that was only two. And I would like be like, okay, is this going to be private or that's going to be private? No longer the case, right? Like anybody can create private repos. But what allows enterprises to do is, I think the concept of organizations within GitHub allows inner source development. And this is how we work. We work on GitHub. GitHub runs on GitHub. And that's what's exciting. Like we, and it's too many GitHubs in one line, but GitHub is created on github.com slash github.github. And it's like everything. I love it. So it's, like, so meta. it's so meta. We build GitHub on GitHub. And that's, that means we use our stuff. We are dog fooding our work all the time. And we are Figuring out how and what breaks before even it comes to customers, we are enabling, we're trying everything that breaks. So every feature that's built now is actually going to GitHub.com that, you know, enables our open source community, our enterprise community on the cloud, as well as GitHub Enterprise Server, which is ships very frequently now too, is just how this whole thing. So now there isn't a single developer in GitHub that would consider, like nobody on my team, even though they work on enterprise tools, that thinks about, oh, this is only for enterprise. Nah. These are the offerings that we allow any developer, we're empowering any developer to use, right? And that's same for everybody. So then let's dive even deeper. When you say like we, you kind of spoken about this earlier as well as like we're building, let me see if I can get, I think you said we're building developer tools for developer tools or we're building for developers. Building tech for tech. Yeah. But it's weird. Okay, tech for, okay, there we go. Tech for tech, but it's also, we are building developer tools and we are developers ourselves. So we are, there's again, a little bit of pride here. Like we should be, and I, I always tell this to my team, I'm like, we should be in the forefront. We should be in the forefront of the tools and developer tools that we're using because we're enabling others to do that. Like we should be using the best of the tools. We should be the new, like, and we should be like thinking about what it is, not today, but a year from now that the developer community will need. And that's what we should build. And so how are features or projects decided on within GitHub? Maybe maybe start with like, how was GitHub 
built and what was first launched and then even uh, you know fast forward to today like how are decisions made of like hey let's build this feature or let's experiment with this weird quirky thing in the beginning of ages and i think this is something that's what was very very quirky before github was acquired is that there was no real sense of a plan or project any developer working at github had the it was empowered to go and build any tool they wanted, anything they wanted. And that was kind of the trend that was there. There was no managers. There was no concept of management for a very long time in GitHub. And it was just like, oh, I figured I would want to build reactions on on issue comments. Well, okay, let me just do that. I'll go and do it, right? It's just like, nope, no real planning. But now we're thinking scale. And that, that's what I think Microsoft brings to GitHub a little bit. I think we're blending the best of the two worlds. It's like, Bringing the quirkiness, the startup mindset that GitHub has with the planning processed mindset that Microsoft has, which is together they have one common goal is how do we make the best for our customers? And here that's developers, right? So there's one common goal there. We're just trying to build and merge cultures, which is something else we can get to if you want to, which is like, how do we meld cultures in sort of the way? But now something like Codespaces is something that we just launched uh, about six months ago. It's super cool because you're able to run your own code on cloud just from GitHub, right? Like one click. You don't need a you don't need an IDE on your computer. You can technically code from your iPad if you wanted. Like did that or your phone. That's accessible coding for anybody, which includes being able to essentially run an, a deployment, run a run a build on the cloud, see the version of your build simultaneously edit and look. And it's it's like, those are the kind of new things that we're building. And these all come in, how do you decide? How do we plan this? We have wonderful people on the team, very, very talented engineers and product leaders who are honestly visionaries and trying to figure out what we can build. We also talk to our customers. We are so customer minded. We identify large customers, small customers, you know, open source developers and test it out. And everything also is kind of this, the whole feature flag thing that we do where we enable certain features before for smaller sets of people and look at how it is utilized. We learn from that data and then we continue to build. And so I think some ideas just come from everywhere in the company and we then try to prioritize and plan. And this is sort of the yearly roadmap or half yearly roadmap that we build. And I think the two things we ask always, right? What's the impact on our metrics that we track on the number of people, the number of developers we are impacting the the actual developers active online those are the metrics that we're looking at and our decisions into what we invest in kind of go back to what's the utility for our community what is the utility for our developers you know i think without it i mean you can always ask another developer like what is the impact of github and the question would just be like what do you ta- like i i need it like what do you mean what's <laughs> Right. And so like even if if we take a look at like the moonshot ideas, I don't know much about this. Maybe you can shine a better light for me. But I know that even if we talk about just GitHub impact on development and code is the GitHub like Arctic or. Yes. The yes. Where you where you like put a bajillion (laughs) lines of code on some kind of, I don't know, a chip of some sort and then place it into the Arctic for future Martians to discover. But I think that that's a great example of not just on a on a daily representation of how GitHub impacts you as a developer, but on a very big social impact, visionary perspective. And if you have more to share, I'd love to learn more because that's, that's all I got. That's all I got. Guys. Arctic is, <laughs> the Arctic vault, essentially 
for those who don't know that we, you know, we had a cutoff date. Anyone, uh, any open source repo that has had a commit within the last year, even a single commit, was essentially backed up. It was all... So I'm there. You're there, 100%. <laughs> I'm screaming. <laughs> so if you have, it was like, I think it was like October 2019 or whatever the date was. There was a cutoff date, something in that time. And after that date, anything before that date that had for a year one collaboration. We essentially recorded it, downloaded, backed up everything, put it on actual systems and then stored it. Like literally Nat, I think, went there and did the first thing. So like that's the quirky part, right? This is super quirky. But also you're right. I never actually thought about like how this impacts not just today's development, but also if you're able to find out and if something happens, I don't want anything to happen, but if something happens and civilization starts off at least we'll have a place to start with the cool open source tools. With code. Yes. <laughs> Only a technologist would say this and feel like right, this is cool. Right. But I'm geeky and I would like to like think about, oh, we could back engineer all the things that was built. Just make like random apps from like 2018 or 2000. Like, I don't know if the future wants that, but I'm into it. Maybe it doesn't, but at least it's a starting point if we're, we're at this thing. So I don't know if there's actually plans. I might have to look it up on myself, but if there's plans to, again, re-add uh, to the Arctic world, I, I remember hearing about it, but I might be wrong. But like essentially do another copy batch and put it back. It would be cool. I should ask on our... Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of that. Like hilarious. Like I'm totally like half joking. I'm just like, I don't know what the KPIs are for that, but that's totally fine. Like I feel like it doesn't even need an explanation. And this really leads me to the question of like, what is like, like from your perspective, like we at GitHub, this is what we rock at. Like this is, we're super great at building this. And I'm curious to learn more about that. I mean, obviously the Arctic Bulk was a killer, but you know, in addition to that, it's like, yo, at GitHub, like this is what we're really, really good at. I am going to be a little bit humble, but also let's just take our mission. Our mission is essentially accelerate human progress through developer productivity. That's our mission. That's the fundament. And the Arctic Vault is in some way in alignment with that mission, right? And so everything that we do is kind of with that mission of, you know, how do we accelerate human progress? But what are we good at? I don't know. Within the teams itself, I think we're really good at collaboration and creating an interconnected community of developers, right? Even within GitHub, right? GitHub has been remote from day one as a company. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I remember even in 2015, I'll be like in Soma and then they're like, oh yeah, GitHub is completely remote. I was like, what? You are correct. I totally forgot about that. I know remote is like now the cool in thing, you know, at this time everybody's like, oh, we're remote. I'm like, we've been always remote. And, uh, what does that mean, right? It means that we should communicate and we need to collaborate because there is a developer all the way in Sydney trying to ship something on there like Monday morning and there's me trying to finish something right now on a Friday, like when I when I have to think about it. It's like we create that sort of system, which is why our tool also kind of helps collaboration, right? Like fundamentally, if we don't know how to collaborate across a remote setting, how does our tool allow that? And so I think it's brilliant, whoever did this when GitHub first started, is to allow this to be a remote country, a remote company. For instance, we don't say remote friendly, right? we say remote first, which means every conversation is recorded. There's a lot of documentation. There's Everything is documented. You can go back and trace back everything on our issues or pull requests, right? That's, that's the piece. All pieces of code, all decisions made are there as a train track to go back and look. And this is not now. This is, I mean, I was quirky enough to kind of go and look at the first commit 
of GitHub itself. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. It's like baby pictures. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. I can see what it started off as. Like, what are the, what's the first library that was added? What was the first, like, first module that was written? I saw all of that and I was like, wow, that's the story. And I'm able to trace down the decisions we've made in order to kind of build the tools we build today. Ooh, yes. That's a good point. I like that. I like that because especially sometimes... Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like sometimes the technical debt that we deal with as an engineer is that we don't really have the... (laughs) You're just shaking your head. Yeah, we don't have the clean documentation or understanding, lack of better words, like the lineage of how did the code get here? And then it's just so messy and you're like, oh God, and you're just trying to fix it or, or continue on. But I think that from your perspective... So then, yeah. So then how does GitHub deal with technical debt or like and or like, what are some of the head scratchers of like, yo, this is this is something that we're working on, super challenging for us. So technical debt is I- interesting. What I would say is, I think anyone who has written documentation will agree with this. Documentation is stale the moment you write it. Like that is. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh. So this is this is a personal point, but that doesn't mean we don't keep documentation. Right. We we keep a lineage of documents and we show it. So one of the things we do is ADRs, which is architectural decision records to kind of showcase the decisions we've made. And it's numbered in an order. But it's all cool to say this. I'm going to put on the non GitHub hat or not like this thing and say it's just not feasible to read 100 documents when I first joined the team. So I always say like ADRs are a good sort of way to go back and say, hey, why did we do this? There's a record to show why we did it. But it's not a record to show kind of the the trade-offs we made at all times. So one of the things is it's lovely because every pull request will have all of the comments and like things that go through, right? And so we track and there are decisions we've made. And I would say, yeah, put this in an ADR, but also let's, we'd have that discussion in an issue. We'd have that. So when we come back, you see, oh, there's a blame. You always, Everybody knows Git blame. Like, oh, who changed this line? And why does this change this way? You go back and you see, you see like, oh, there's a PR that was made and was merged this time. Okay, now let me look at that PR. Uh Uh-uh, this makes sense. This is why this was added. This is why this code was added. Or this is why the decision was made. Or this is why this code was removed. Whatever it might be, right? And so our own repository is documentation in some way. Our own, like, thing that we keep. This is why it's sacred to keep all of that data with us. Now, something about tech debt, though. I think any software is going to have tech debt. That is just a straight-up fact, like, but how do you create time for tech debt? I think is more harder is how do you create time for tech debt? How do you prioritize tech debt? And how does a team kind of always, I always say, yeah, we're, we're doing things for our community. We're doing things for the customers and sort of comes down to, then how do you work on tech debt? Because it isn't a direct impact on the customer doesn't see anything change. It's, it's kind of sort of the cleanup, a refactor or a upgrade of the system, which to the customer visually, there's no change. But to a developer working on it, it makes a lot of sense. So I think I'm going to call out to Nicole Ferguson's book where we use this four key metrics in order to help us kind of decide on what kind of tech deck to work on. So that one of the first of the key metrics is deployment frequency, which is essentially how often do we release a code? The second one is lead time for change, which is what is the time from a commit that it goes to the cloud, like or the production, cloud or production, right? And then the third one is change failure rate, which is 
the number of changes, like number of commits that are actually causing a failure in production. So if there is a, you know, an incident or something of that sort, is that commit causing how many commits or how many commits percentage is causing actually that incident? So change failure rate. And then the fourth one is time to restore service, which is how long does it take for an organization to recover from a failure in production to kind of being green again? So these four kind of help us understand where tech debt is, right? Because tech debt, it can be a refactor, it can be an upgrade, like I said, but what's important is these metrics to allow us to plan, is this going to improve our deployment frequency? Like for instance, if we are thinking about the platform, there's a friction as a developer, right? We we make a commit and then it takes about two hours for somebody to review and builds to run. And then they say, can we reduce that? Can we, can we bring that down? What change can help reduce that? So now, these are metrics that we also track apart from our like customer metrics, apart from the, the usability metrics, about them, apart from that money that we make to make our engineering organization more sustainable. And so the four metrics kind of help us decide, is this tech that important right now or not? And that's it. And I'll also add one thing here. There's a KR. So we use OKRs for planning and there's a KR, a, a fundamental KR, which is essentially GitHub fundamentals is, is, is all of that basically these four key metrics, but also just fundamentally are we reducing developer friction at all times, right? Is our development process smooth and easy to use? Can, and I always ask this, can a developer come to our team tomorrow and write a piece of code that ships to production the end of the day? Oh my God. So, I mean, I think what's also hilarious is that you have the tightest or cleanest feedback loop as well. Because this goes back to the dog fooding, right? Yeah, dog fooding is one piece of it. But the other feedback is our test systems, our our sort of our test flow, and you know the way we we ship is kind of interesting. And I'll, I'll quickly talk about this. This may be interesting to people. So most people kind of commit the code, merge it to master or main, right? Yay for main, uh, not master. But they merge it to main and then ship it to production. That's not what we do. This can be like, hmm. Wait, what? So we actually have sort of a deploy branch and we we deploy the deploy branch. We essentially create mirrors of the current system and the new system. We merge it. We check for all the settings. We check if things are okay. And then we flip switch, right? Once everything is in, in production on github.com, people are looking at it, people are using it, then we merge it. So it's kind of like we wait until it's in production to merge a set of code. And so it's not a single piece of PR, it's actually a merge of, it's a train, we call it a train, but we basically bring in a lot of PRs together and merge it in one go. And we do this several times a day. This is not a one time a day, one time a week thing. We do this several times a day, but what's cool is that we don't merge the PR for the train until it's in deployment, until it's in production. And so what this allows us is to quickly divert. So we see something fail, we're like, oh, switch out the mirrors, let's quickly divert. And, and stop the train from being closed and merged. So it's kind of a different system there. It's unique in the way that's there. And, and there's more to read about this in the GitHub blog for those that are interested, how our merge train works, how we deploy. But there's a lot of detail there. But I think when I first started here, I was like, wait, what? This is so surprising. That's not what I'm used to. I'm always used to, let's merge to master, merge most to main, and then let's just ship, right? Like at that point, CICD triggers, we run, things go into the cloud and everything's there. Okay, cool. There's a green and more ships happen, more merges happen. And that, that's not what we do at GitHub. So that's a little bit different than I think most. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. I mean, so 
would you say it could be that it could be the merch train, but I'm curious, like what is as like when you were a staff engineer at GitHub, like what would probably be one of the most important or eye-opening skill sets where you're like, hey, devs at other tech companies, like this is something that I like, it's mind blowing and I would totally recommend this. Maybe merch train. I'm also thinking, I'm trying to remember kind of what all was, it's also hard, right? Like now it's become second nature, how we do this year. It's like, how do we actually, it's not unique. It's become second nature. And so whenever I get new people to join my team, I'm like, so tell me what's new. Tell me what you feel. Tell, what, is, what is the challenges? Also, they had challenges. I want to make this better. I would say any company should have a bootstrap, right? This is something like they need to have a system where, like I said, an employee joins, an engineer joins. One day later, they're able to at least ship a small change to production. What that means is like their computer, there needs to be one script that does it all. All you do is pull the piece of code that you need to run the script. And that script should be same in all the services that the company owns. This is this is the other piece, right? It's it's a bootstrap. So it's the same command. So any code base that you pull within the company, it's the same command. You run it and now you're ready to like make changes and commit the code and ship, right? And so that that sets up your any dependencies that you need. It sets up your key system. It sets up your permissions that you need. It sets up all of the deployment system. It sets up your ID in the way you need it. It should be second nature as if you've always worked on GitHub. That's how it should feel. I always worked on the piece of code that you just pulled. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's a really good point, especially from not just not just from an onboarding perspective, anywhere from culturally integrating as a developer, right? In that specific sense. Do you guys also create like single pipelines for building towards a goal or, yeah, I'm curious to hear more about that. So because we make actions too, this is a weird question, right? Like we our pipeline systems are, we try, we're, we're on the way to unifying. And I got to be honest, right? Like it's not just about, we're still in some of our old systems because Actions is fairly new. We're still migrating and moving things to use our new pipeline system and one like create a unified pipeline. So because we're in the state where we're innovating prior to everybody, there's always going to be a part that is not the newest and like always is going to be a part that's like innovating and being in the front. But what we try to ensure is the the processes are the same. The commands are the same. What you expect for what is production is the same how the process kind of goes in terms of this. Yeah, we might have some users actions, some might use our old systems, but the end of the day, the deployment process, the checks are same. You're looking at having a linting process, having a testing process, having a functional unit in an integration test process, and then you have a build system. All of that is the same, and we're keeping that similar experience no matter where you are in the company to develop. Yeah. And in that process, you've also moved towards microservices, right? I mean, I think originally you guys were built on Ruby. I don't know if you know much about oh, that. Oh, I can. I can talk about this. This is... This. Tell, oh, girl, tell me. <laughs> I want to learn. Let me so know. So we're still in the big monolith, right? Like we're still in a Ruby monolith, but it's not that we're like pulling everything out today to kind of make it microservice. And... I'm going to use a big TM, KKTM, my TM, like, um, is that this is not about microservices, it's about macroservices, right? Like, I don't understand, like, I think we're going pendulums in the developer community from going from a Mac, like a monolith to now everything is a microservice, small, small things managing. And then I think we're going to come back somewhere in between where there's a mix of the two. Ooh. This is my personal opinion, not, not. I'm, I'm so into that, 100%. Uh, because, I, okay, here's the thing, right? I actually, in prior to GitHub at one point, I actually worked on a project that made a monolith, 
microservices. And the joke I said is there were more microservices on the team than there were engineers. And it was like infrastructure and managing the service. It's hard. If you haven't started that way, it's hard. It's challenging. How do you keep everything uptime? How do you keep the uptime? How do you manage the communication and authentication layers around that, it just becomes really challenging. And then the network latency and all of this stuff is another factor for performance, right? And so I'm now of the sense that, you know, we build tools that do one big thing, manage the service, so I'm going to say macro services, and is able to bridge that monolith and microservice concept in some way, right, in a little bit of a way. So we're not all microservices. We are a mix of the big monolith. Anything that's new coming up, it's its own, so we're not putting everything in the new monolith. There are advantages, don't get me wrong, about having a set of service systems, upgradability is easier, maintainability is easier. It's actually easier to monitor single services. You can identify, and, and the downtime of one service doesn't cause everything to fall down. There's all these advantages of a microservice system, but there's also disadvantages, which I think will kind of moving the pendulum concept again, going into sort of large systems handled in one service is easier. And I will say I've been in a microservice, fully microservice system where a same piece of code, a simple logic was repeated in seven services. And I was like, why? And then the package hell was crazy because if now let's say you have a package that does all of this stuff, you're like, you update this package. Now you need to update this services that, that uses this new version. And then it's like one change, one small change is now seven PRs, seven deployments and seven points of failure. <laughs> I, like I love your sense of this is ridiculous, but but like I am nerding out with you just as hard because I totally understand your frustration. And I thought I was the only one who's like, is anyone awake? Does no one sees this? It's like the meme of like the fire and then the dog is like, everything is yes, fine. That, this that's is okay. basically this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's basically this. But so for me, in the end of the day, this is my personal thing. GitHub is also kind of there, right? Like we're not all a microservice system. We're not a microservice architecture. We're somewhere in the middle. And one advantage of having different services do different things is the ability to have different languages be used or different frameworks and different technologies used. And then what happens is we start choosing the right frameworks for the right problem. So there's a problem that involves scale, involves sort of a lot of concurrent development, concurrent data management. Then you want to use a different, like you want to use like .NET Core or you want to use a system that's built for that. If it's more of a front-end system that all is does is a glorified API service, maybe there's a different language framework that you want to use. So having services that are large, that have a single purpose, uh, have not just a single purpose, but have a, a purpose for the customer can allow us to be a little bit more open about the language and frameworks use, which is what we are moving to in GitHub, right? Like not everything is in Ruby, like not everything is in a single language and not everything needs to be in a single language, right? And then also things are moving, things are changing. There's new new languages being made, new awesome code that's being created, new frameworks that are being created, and we should be able to use that. And that's the part that's important. Amen to that. And I think as we're talking about like the melding and also building that bridge, something that I really want to kind of close off with is hearing about what you talked about earlier was that melding of cultures, right? The melding of cultures in the sense of GitHub also is able to provide able to provide for anywhere from solo devs to open source developers to startups to even the enterprise level. I don't know, is Spotify, are they technically, are they technically an enterprise, right? So my question is like, how have, in your experience, how have you become a tool for literally every aspect 
of a developer's journey, anywhere from solo dev to I'm learning, all the way to I work strictly on open source projects to like, hey, we're a startup, just kidding, we're an enterprise company. <laughs> yeah, and then like I'm coming from, I have an experience in Microsoft, I have an experience in also being a solo dev, being an open source developer, so I understand the world. And I think that melding of these two companies and having that kind of bring is really the the baseline for being able to understand our community. I would say Microsoft understands enterprise really well. That's what they do. If you like, that's their USP, Microsoft's USP. And GitHub's USP is open source development, right? And so being able to melt that is how we are able to think about not just a new developer in India, or are we thinking about a developer in Sweden who's in a small company in a startup? Or are we thinking about a developer in the US in the Silicon Valley building extremely large enterprise level code, whatever that might be, we have that experience within the company because we understand all parts of that. We have a large open source community, even within GitHub, like the developers that work on our teams are open source developers. We also have people with enterprise experience. So in any decision-making and in any sort of, as we're building tools and as we're building services, as we're building GitHub, the discussions that happen has different perspective. So Yes, we can talk about diversity. We can talk about inclusion. But there's diversity and inclusion in so many ways that includes our community. And so we're trying to, I don't know if you're always perfect about it, but we always try to get that perspective of the open source developer, the perspective of an enterprise developer and seeing. So everybody at GitHub is building for the developer community, not for one of this or the other of this. So any feature How's it going to affect the open source development? How is it going to be, how's it going to be interpreted? And so how is it, if this is going to be a paid offering, right? Some things are paid and some things cost money. Okay, what is our focus there? Who's, can it be a stripped down version that all of our community can use? So we're always asking those questions. We're always customer minded. And I think in the end of the day, it's about if we represent, we as in GitHub represents the developer community, we're able to build better for that developer community. And I like sort of teared a little bit when I thought about it, because it's true, like it makes my heart bigger to think about how we're building this organization, how we're building this product and creating this interconnected community of developers trying to do something for the world. Wow. Wow. That is an incredible, incredible piece. KK, thank you so much. I I am so jazzed. I There's so many things like... First of all, KK, thank you so much for joining as the director of engineering. What a badass at GitHub. Thank you. I wish this episode, like I can nerd out about GitHub for so long with you. We can nerd about dancing as oh, well. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think with that, I definitely want to drop a few of the resources that you shared today on the episode, as well as if there's that DIY sticker yes. Uh, maker. Yes. Yes, definitely that. But I think that it's, I think one of the takeaways that I have, I think, beyond GitHub as a tool for developers, it's also, there's that visionary piece, the visionary piece of GitHub for for the future of development and the melding of cultures. And KK, it's been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you, Sydney, for having me. I enjoyed this conversation and I hope to catch up with you soon. Welcome back. What a, wow. GitHub is such a funky place. And I think the developer culture there is very evident in every code they write and every sticker they make. Thank you so much for staying on and hanging with me today. If you're looking to discover new developer tools or dope projects, hit me up. Let me know what you're interested in and I'm happy to help out. 
And I'll drop my handle in the show notes, but you can also reach me on Twitter at Sydney Lai, S-Y-D-N-E-Y, last name L-A-I, at Sydney Lai. And just let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you're looking for any awesome, again, developer tools or dope projects. I am happy to point you to the right direction or just curious to see what you're building. I am constantly looking for new episode ideas, new seasons, dope people to connect with. Thank you so much for just hanging out. And yeah, let's let's meet up soon. Take care.